So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. But false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sun, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let me pray as we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to come before you now humbly and to receive your word humbly. And we ask that you would give us the right perspective on life and the future. We ask that you'd lift our eyes to Christ and his soon return. And we ask, Father, that you might bring our lives more and more in line with reality. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're part two or part three of this series is the final part of our series on the return of Jesus. 
and we saw last week the delay before the end, so you have a, a handout and there's, that, there's that sort of terrible diagram uh, that I've spent far too long trying to draw with a mouse on a computer um, that you've got there, and you'll see that we... Uh, it's the same diagram but just added to from last week and last week we were there uh, looking at the delay before the end today our subject is the end and that is the return of Jesus itself uh, and the reason for that is that that's because Jesus moves on to that in verse 15 uh, in our passage and all the way through to uh, verse 35 at heart we are going to see that Jesus wants his disciples to realise that we are living in the dying moments of this creation, this world, this age. That is, he is now at the very gates of the universe. We're living in the dying moments of this whole age, this world, That is, the Messiah has come, Jesus, he's died on the cross, he's paid for sin, he's risen, but now we are in the very last moments of this world before his return to rule. And that is what he wants his disciples to realise in these verses. And so therefore part of what it means to be a true Christian is to be waiting eagerly and faithfully for his soon return. I'm sure you can see, if this is true, if it's true, it completely transforms everything we think we're living for. Our priorities in life, for ourselves, for our children, for our families, our colleagues, neighbours, friends. Of course, all of this is completely contrary to the worldview around us. Uh, in your workplaces, uh, neighbours, etc., uh, in the newspapers, which is this. Something along the lines of, this world is going to continue indefinitely, so we better preserve it at all costs. Jesus says in this passage, these are its dying moments before it's all going to pass away. Three points today. On your sheets, number one, AD 70 was the sign. Number two, Jesus' return will be the end of the universe. And then the conclusion, number one. Well, this whole section starts with Jesus' prophecy that the temple will be destroyed. Uh, Just come back to verse two. Uh, It's essential that we don't lose sight of where this conversation starts. Okay, verse 2, Jesus says, You see all of these buildings, the the, the temple that had been there for 500 years, there they are, uh, looking at it from the Mount of Olives, they can see it. He says, Not one stone will be left upon another. Verse 3, the disciples ask the obvious question. Two parts to their question. Number one, tell us when will these things be? That is, when will the temple be destroyed? And number two, what will be the sign of the end of the age? How will we know that the Christ is about to come and bring his kingdom? They seem to see a connection between those two things. But they're not sure what it is. And I hope we will see that Jesus' answer to these questions is actually very straightforward 
The first thing he says in verses 4 to 14, as we saw last week, is that there is going to be a delay. We need to realise that and what it's going to be like. In verse 15, he comes back to their question directly. So that word, so, in verse 15, at the beginning of verse 15, in the original, can mean, now then, back to your question. Now then, back to what we were talking about. He comes back to their question, and we get a timeline from verse 15 to 31. And verses 15 to 23 is the sign, and then 29 so 15 to 23 is the sign, and then 29 to 31 is the end itself, and then 32 to 35 is the conclusion. Uh, you'll see I've tried to draw this on the diagram, uh, the sign there with that microscopic uh, little picture that you'll need a, a magnifying glass uh, to see. But we'll start there, and just come with me to verse 15. So Jesus refers prophetically here to the destruction of the temple. So that this idea of the abomination of desolation spoken by the, the prophet Dan, Daniel standing in the holy place. Uh, ref, big, referring to the end of the temple. He then says in verse 16 to 20, uh, uh, that that's the call to get out of Jerusalem because destruction is coming. And then verse 21, I take it that such great tribulation that has never been since the beginning of the world. That is the destruction itself, the destruction of the temple. And it's never been rebuilt since. Now we might be thinking, so, and so in AD 70, on your diagram there, in AD 70 the Romans came and they besieged and destroyed uh, the temple. They besieged Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And all of this, Jesus said, will happen before the end. In fact, Jesus is more precise. He says in verse 34, just come to verse 34. Sorry to, to work you hard. Just come to verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All these things there is the destruction of the temple. And so Jesus said in AD 30, the temple will be destroyed within a generation. And I don't know if you know your history. In AD 70, the Romans came, they besieged Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and it's never been rebuilt. And that is, you'll see on your picture there, on your diagram, a, a tiny picture of the Temple Mount. And you'll know there's a mosque on it to this day. Now, we might be thinking, what do we do with all this? What's all this about? Well, come now to verse 33, where we get the lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to draw from it. Verse 33, he says, So also, when you see all these things, that is, when you see the destruction of the temple, you know that he is near at the very gates. In other words, you know the Son of Man is about to return. When you see the destruction of the temple, you know the Son of Man is at the very gates. So the point is this. Now, in this building, uh, there are fire alarms. I've been looking. Uh, you can see the red things over there that you can smash. Um, there's three of them, in fact, I've seen uh, up there or, or probably uh, all around the building. You can smash them. The alarm goes off. 
on a cosmic level, the alarm has been hit in AD 70, and the final countdown has begun. Uh, now, uh, some of you won't be able to see this. I've made, very carefully made a, 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 a paper temple here. Uh, just, if you can't see it, just imagine what I'm about to do. Um, so this is the cosmic alarm. This is the button. No stone left upon another. The alarm has been hit in AD 70. The siren is sounding. The end is coming. That's the point. In fact, it is more than that. The destruction of the temple in AD 70 was the beginning of the end. And you can see that in verse 22. This strange verse. Do you see that in verse 22? If those days had not been cut short, that is that the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 had not been cut, cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. What's going on here? What the Lord Jesus is saying, I think, is this. He's saying AD 70 could have been in some sense, should have been the end of the world. God's hand was lifted to bring everything to an end then. The floodgates of judgment were opened. And if it had continued, no human being would have been saved. Final judgment. But he stopped the juggernaut. He pressed pause. Why? For the sake of the elect, he pressed pause on the end of the world as he gathers in all his, his people from all the nations. The only thing of substance that's happening in these last moments of history is God as the gospel is proclaimed and God gathers in his elect. But as soon as you see AD 70, you know that he is near at the very gates and the end could come at every, any moment. That's the point. In other words, the world is on borrowed time. Uh, notice there will be a concerted effort after the sign, verse 23 to 28, a concerted effort during this period of delay between the sign and, and the return of Jesus to distract the church from the unmissable return of Jesus. You see that? People will say, there he is, don't believe it. They'll say, look, he's in the wilderness, look, he's come to the inner rooms. There'll be all kinds of uh, movements and teachers arising in this age between the sign and the final day to spread whatever confusion they can, if possible, to lead astray the elect and their tactic will be to try to persuade the church that in some sense Christ has already come back and therefore that there is no great day yet to come that we're all waiting for. So don't worry about it. <laughs> we can see that this kind of distraction is having great success. Not just out there, but in our circles and churches so easy, isn't it, to lose sight of 
There's a con- no surprise, there's a concerted effort to distract the church from the final coming of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, don't listen to them. Don't be distracted from the great day to come, because when it comes, it will be unmissable. And so to move on to our second point, what then will happen at the end itself? And that is verses 29 to 31. And the point is, when Jesus returns, it will be the end of the universe. In fact, three things. I'm going to expand the point. It will be the end of the universe, the moment of truth, and the beginning of the new eternal age. Just look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, I, th- I don't think that means immediately after the sign, AD 70 but immediately after the general tribulation, in other words, the delay of unspecified length that we were talking about last week, immediately after that tribulation, then the end will come. And verse 29 is picturing the end of this universe. The sun will stop, the moon will stop, the stars will fall. And if there are any doubts as to whether it's the end of the universe, Look at verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, as Jesus sums it up. And so then, the God who made the universe in the first place will bring it to an end on that day. It is completely illogical, of course, isn't it, to believe that he can't do that if he made it in the first place. He can bring it to an end. And when Jesus returns, he says, it will be the end of this universe. Heaven and earth will pass away completely. Second, it will be the moment of truth. Verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. This sign of the Son of Man, we don't know what it is. It'll be something that makes obvious to all at that moment that the end has finally come. The game is up, the curtain has fallen. And then it will prompt the tribes of the earth to mourn. That is all those who have opposed Jesus and refused his call to repent will at that moment realise It will be the moment of truth. Why will they mourn? You've thought about that? I think at least three reasons. I think they will mourn the destruction of everything they've lived for and held dear, this world. They will mourn with deep regret, the deep regret of people who knew about the forgiveness they could have had in the Lord Jesus and yet now realise it's too late, they will mourn with deep regret. Most of all, I take it, they will mourn with despair, knowing now the awful destiny that faces them. Notice there will be no more pretending on that day. You know, you hear... uh, 
you can have your truth and, and I'll have mine. We hear this, don't we? And all around us and people will say, well, that's fine for you to believe in Jesus and all that stuff. That's your truth. That's fine for you. It's true for you. But I've got another truth and it's true for me. There'll be no more of that on that day. Do you know why? Because verse 30, those words, three words, they will see. <laughs> they will see the Son of Man. <laughs> it will no longer be possible to pretend that Jesus isn't real because there he will be. Or that he isn't God because there he will be in all his glory. Just picture it for a second. All other light in the universe has vanished. Only he will shine, the Son of Man, in all his glory. And so it will be the moment of truth for the universe. Thirdly, it will be the beginning for God's people, a new beginning. Verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Just see what Jesus' immediate priority will be. The first thing he will do is he will bring his long-suffering people home from all corners of the universe, those who've died, those who are alive, not one of them missing. It will be the end of the universe, but it will also be the beginning, a new beginning for his people. I imagine it a little bit like this. If you think of a father coming home from a long work trip, perhaps, after three months away, bursting into the doors and uh, saying to his servants, you probably have to go back a few years for this, but saying to his servants, the first thing, go get my children, bring them to me. That will be Jesus' priority on that day it will be a wonderful day for the forgiven Christian the trumpet will sound it will be the sound of freedom for the Christian it will be a wonderful sound it will be the sound of relief you thought about that? what a relief it was all true our hope was not in vain so when Jesus returns it will be the end of the universe. It will be the moment of truth. It will be the beginning of the new eternal age as God's king comes at last to claim his universal rule, to bring his everlasting kingdom and to wrap up all of God's promises and plans from the beginning. And can I say, of course, if this day is coming, it changes absolutely everything, doesn't it? So, to conclude, uh, what should we conclude, drawing all this together? Well, Jesus gives us the conclusion in verses 32 to 35. Uh, the unmissable conclusion of this section, verse 33, he is near at the very gates. In other words, disciples of Jesus need to realise this, that we are living in the dying moments of this world, this creation, before he returns to bring the universe to an end and, to be and the beginning of his kingdom. I just want to zero in on one thing for a moment because I think if we're really honest as Christians, we doubt these things. 
we say to each other, oh yeah, he's coming back. But quietly, often we don't really believe it. I just want us to see some of the power of this section. Can you see that AD 70 is a sign given to us by the Lord Jesus that is working in two ways? It is about timing. He is near. But it's also about proof whether he's coming back. Because Jesus knows we're such doubters of his word. And so he's given us a preview. If we think he's bluffing about the end of the world, which quietly we do very often, Jesus says, look at the temple. Just imagine his disciples for a moment. Uh, They were looking at the buildings of the temple uh, right there with him in AD 30. These great buildings, they'd been there for 500 years. Jesus said, look at those, they'll be gone within a generation. Disciples probably thought to themselves, yeah, right. But lo and behold, within 40 years, destroyed, never rebuilt, just as he said it would be. Now, in the same way, we may look at this world, this universe, and think when Jesus talks about heaven and earth passing away, we we think quietly to ourselves, probably not. Well, he wasn't bluffing about AD 70, and he's not bluffing about his return. His words have been tested in history. We can believe it. So AD 70 is about proof, uh, but it's also about timing. And in verse 32, Jesus uses uh, this idea of seasons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Uh, Apparently there are only two seasons in Jerusalem, winter and summer. There is no spring to speak of, maybe a couple of, a few days that people talk about, but really there isn't a spring. Uh, and so the point is that uh, as the leaves come out, it, it, they are the first signs of summer. Uh, and the point Jesus is making, therefore, that is that these are the last moments of spiritual winter. The eternal summer of Jesus' rule is almost upon, upon us. And it is really wonderful news for the Christian. Summer is coming. It should fill our hearts with hope. Uh, you know how when you um, you know how you feel about when some, your summer holiday is about to come. So you've got a lovely three weeks summer holiday just just coming. It's the last week before you go away. Maybe the last two or three days at work, and you're clearing the desk, but you're really thinking of that uh, of that summer holiday. Well, Jesus is saying, look where you are as a follower of me. That's where we are in the very last moments before an eternal summer rest. John Newton, uh, writing to one of his Christian friends, said this, he put it beautifully. He said, The troubles which every day bears away will return no more and see the end is at hand. Isn't that a wonderful attitude? in light of these things. It is the right one for the Christian. Think of this great city, the Houses of Parliament, 
the great buildings of, of the city where I spend a lot of my time. Everything that seems so vital, so important. Jesus says these are their dying moments. Dulwich. These are their dying moments before Christ our Saviour returns. He sums it up beautifully in verse 34, the conclusion, verse 35, the conclusion of this whole section. Heaven and earth is passing away. You need to realise that, disciple. But my words will not pass away. I wonder, why, why do you think he concludes with those words? The reason is, I think, because the Christian is to be someone who is investing no hope in this world. It's passing away. But all of our hope in the soon return of Jesus Christ. Put it another way. The Christian is someone who grasps this. The Christian who grasps this will not be pursuing any dreams in this world. Any dreams at all in this world. But waiting for Jesus to bring all of our dreams. The summer that we long for. That is really radical. Is this what you're living for? To have this perspective on life, I take it changes everything about our priorities in life. Absolutely everything. And it may be uh, that for some of us, this is just an encouragement uh, to lift our eyes afresh to the the soon return of Jesus and to keep going in the Christian life. It may be that for others of us, this means a radical change of direction in light of these things. Let's pray as I close. Father, we thank you for the beautiful truth that Christ our Saviour will soon return and bring summer. The summer of his kingdom. The banquet. The hope that we long for. And Father, we do pray that we would lift our eyes, that you would lift our eyes, that we would place no hopes or dreams in this dying world, but only in Christ. And that we would therefore be waiting eagerly for him. And Father, how we long to be waiting faithfully for him. Show us what that looks like in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.